Hi, I'm Michael O'Connell, host of the It's All Journalism podcast. For more than a decade, It's All Journalism has produced a weekly podcast featuring interviews with working journalists, educators, and media thought leaders, all discussing the ever-changing media landscape. We've covered a wide range of topics such as solutions journalism, mental health in the newsroom, local news startups, investigative reporting, online harassment, and new technology. Over the years, It's All Journalism partnerships have played important roles in expanding our reach and ensuring that we are able to continue producing our weekly podcast series. We are currently seeking new partners to help us keep this podcast going. If you believe in It's All Journalism's mission, if you want to see these conversations continue, go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the partnerships link and find out how we can share your company or organization's good work with a wider audience. Maybe we can produce a podcast series for you or host your next webinar. The It's All Journalism team is ready to spotlight your organization's good work and keep these important conversations going. Go to itsalljournalism.com, click on the partnerships link, and let's collaborate. And now, here's our latest episode. It takes a lot of different forms. There are families, there are senior citizens on fixed income who just can't make the rent anymore. And, and often they're not, you know, living in the streets. They're bouncing from family to friends' houses. They're living in their car. You just might not see it. In order to report on a particularly complex story, a reporter may need to establish a deep rapport with their sources. But that extra effort can help make your reporting that much more insightful. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Ginny Monk is the Connecticut Mirror's children's issues and housing reporter, as well as a Report for America Corps member. She's also the winner of a 223 Insight Award for Explanatory Journalism from the Institute of Nonprofit News for her series, Notice to Quit, which examined the effects of eviction on families and children. And she's here to tell us all about it. Ginny, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I like to find out a little bit about my guest. How'd you get interested in journalism and what was the path it took you to the Connecticut Mirror? Yeah, so I've been interested in journalism since college and even specifically writing about housing and homelessness. Since then, I'm from Arkansas and worked there for five years, first as a reporter on the file desk and then on the investigative team and moved up to Connecticut in 2021 and started at the Mirror shortly after. Okay, so you're a member of the Report for America Corps. Some people may not be familiar with that. Could you sort of talk about that and your involvement in it? Sure. So Report for America is a program that helps to fund and place journalists in local newsrooms. So they offer trainings, they offer some funding, and I'm a core member. I'm in my second year with them, and then they place me here. Oh, cool. How long does it usually last, the assignment? It's a three-year program, and I lived in Connecticut just before I started it. My my husband is from the state. Okay. You're also the Children's Issues and Housing reporter at CT Mirrors, I guess, how it's shortened. So tell me about you know your interest in covering homelessness. Was that part of your beat when you were down in, in Arkansas? It was. For the investigative team, I focused on housing, homelessness, and juvenile justice. So I've always sort of been writing about kids and, and housing. You know, I, I think those two things work really well and closely together because where you live is such a personal thing and particularly for kids has huge effects on the way their life goes. 
I think that's part of the mix that most people who you know may not be paying attention to the homeless issues, they don't understand that it's just not some guy standing on a corner, that there are families out there that, that are living in cars, there are children who are going to school still, but you know don't have a traditional home to go to. So, yes, there's a rich in possibilities of stories to tell. So tell me about this project, Notice to Quit. How did that come about? You know, sort of early in the pandemic, when I was still in Arkansas, actually, started hearing from a lot of people who couldn't make rent. They were facing eviction. They were losing their housing. And, and that was such a time of disruption, I think, for everyone. But I was really struck by the stories of, of folks who were losing their housing. And then moving up to Connecticut, I wrote a lot about the rental assistance program, which here was called Unite CT. Each state had its own version. And I noticed a lot of the folks I was hearing from were women and single moms often, who were sort of both grappling with their own issues with losing their housing and saying, and I need to maintain some normalcy for my kids. What am I supposed to do? And and so we decided to really look at that question of, of what does this mean for kids? And I spent a lot of time with these families, particularly to talk to kids because to sort of get meaningful interviews with children takes a lot of time and effort. Yeah. How long did it take you to, to cover or report this particular story? Yeah. So I spent about six months, I would say, reporting it. Had a few families I would meet with once or twice a week for a couple hours, typically at a time. Tell me about some of the conversations you had. What was it that you know, people were saying, what was the perspective they were able to give you as, you know, single moms, you know, mothers of children and also the children as well? Yeah. So for me, reporting this story, you know, I've written quite a bit about housing and about poverty, but it really was sort of a gut punch as to what it looks like for a family to experience poverty, particularly when they don't have stable housing. So it really struck me, for example, a woman who missed just a couple of weeks of work, how much it set her family back. I and mean, it wasn't like she just didn't want to go to work. She had an injury and couldn't go. And, and it really caused a lot of problems for the family. When you were down in Arkansas, that was during the, the pandemic? Yeah. So I, I moved to Connecticut in 2021. So the first couple of years of the pandemic, I was in Arkansas. How did that impact the, you know, the homelessness issue there? Was it harder? Was there rent assistance? You know, were people still being evicted? Yeah. So it's sort of an interesting comparison because there was rent assistance, but the state had a lot more requirements for sort of the documentation and the things people needed to prove in order to receive it. So you actually saw a lot fewer people receiving the rent assistance and the state wound up giving some of that rent assistance money back to the federal government, which then reallocated it to programs such as Connecticut's that were more effective at handing out the money. What was different in Connecticut? What was their response? They sort of got their program set up in ways that were more conducive to folks who might not have that documentation. They allowed people to self-attest to certain things. There were just a few fewer requirements. Their online system was fairly effective once they got it going, sort of a slow start. But then once it got going, it was fairly user-friendly. Are they still providing rental assistance or the same level of rental assistance? Not the same level. They are still offering it, but it's specifically for people who have already gotten to court with their eviction. So the state of Connecticut has a mediation program. When you get to court, sort of a third neutral party can 
try to work out an agreement before you come before a judge. And, and the state is now offering rent assistance as part of that mediation. Okay. So is the person already evicted or is it just that they've received a notice? I mean, are they out on the street or are they temporarily in the apartment or condo or whatever? It's that they've received a notice and that their court date has come. So they'll come to court and the mediator can say, you know, will this be resolved if they can pay the back rent that they owe you? And if the landlord says, yeah, that's my only issue, then they can clear that up. The problem for many people becomes that when you're at the point of going to court with an eviction, the relationship between the landlord and tenant has often already deteriorated. Having covered homelessness for a while, you know, what what is it that people in the, the general public generally doesn't recognize about the problem? I think when people think about someone experiencing homelessness, they think of the the guy that you see maybe on your drive who's asking for money on the sidewalk. But it takes a lot of different forms. There are families, there are senior citizens on fixed incomes who just can't make the rent anymore. And, and often they're not, you know, living in the streets. They're bouncing from family to friends' houses. They're living in their car. You just might not see it. And unfortunately, because that is such a broad mix of people who are experiencing this and people don't understand that homelessness is the result of a lot of things, their dismissal of, oh, well, that person must not want to work, you know, sort of affects all these other people who may even have jobs. Definitely. Yeah. I've been meeting more recently with a family experiencing homelessness and the mom is working, but they have an eviction on their record and, and no one wants to rent to them. And also some of the women who are homeless, you know, maybe they've split with a partner or an ab- had a, an abusive relationship with someone and is sort of fleeing from that situation. Are there resources available in Connecticut to sort of address that issue? The domestic violence? Yeah. There are a few programs available sort of through the, the state, especially for women and children. Yeah. To go back to the project specifically, when you set out to do it, to cover it, I mean, Tell me about how you planned. You know, what were you thinking at the beginning? Okay, this, I want to make sure I touch on this, this, and this. Yeah, you know, I think for me, it was really important, again, to center the voices of children. So you'll see through the project, the first three stories all start with the voice of a child. And the fourth one, which focuses on long-term effects, is a, a mother's recollection of being evicted when she was a child. So that was really important for me. And then there was a huge sort of community engagement aspect of the project that uh, really took a lot of work and a lot of planning and I think was a central focus of the finished work. Tell me about that engagement. You know, what form did it take? Yeah, so it started off with two events that we hosted with some local legal aid groups as well as service providers. I went around and put flyers up in the zip codes where we know people are most likely to face eviction. And we hosted these events where I met some folks, they were able to connect with legal aid or homeless shelters, and just sort of get some some help as well as chat with me about what they were going through. The piece of that that was, I think, the most successful was the flyers in the neighborhood. So for months after we put those up, I was getting calls from people who either wanted to talk to a reporter or who just needed some resources. That's how I found a lot of my Sources. We also had monthly meetings with um, just some community folks, people who had experienced eviction, attorneys, experts, 
service providers to talk about the work that I was doing so I could say, hey, I'm hearing this. Is this something that is consistent with your experience of the system? And that was hugely helpful as well to sort of have those scheduled regular asks for feedback from people who knew more about eviction than I did. Were you able to get community activists and maybe even local politicians, you know, get their ear to maybe address that problem, you know, with the changing what type of services were off? Yeah. So we did sort of do some engagement with, um, you know, activists and politicians. I think particularly the the sort of last community engagement piece of our project was the production of a set of coloring pages and a children's book to help kids understand evictions. And the activists and politicians have been really helpful in getting that out to their community. Had you interviewed children for a project like this before? I had interviewed children before. I I think not so much in this depth in that with these kids, I was, you know, I was at their soccer games. I talked with them about what dress they wanted to wear to the prom, just really sort of in their day-to-day life in a different way. Okay. What was the age range of the children that you were talking to? The youngest was actually nonverbal, and she was three at the time I met her. The oldest was 16. Was the the oldest, was that someone who had been homeless for a, a long time or maybe multiple times in her life? So there were two who were 16 when I met them, one of whom moved from one apartment where she was evicted to just straight to the next one. And the other who was homeless for a few months living in motels, the back of a U-Haul. Were they living with family members or that were they just young people who did not have a place to live? They were living with their mothers. What's been the, the feedback that you've gotten on this project? I'd say it's been by and large good feedback. I think you know, when you're able to spend that much time with folks and when you're in a newsroom that is supportive of spending that much time, people can really connect with the folks you're writing about in a different way. So almost all of them have gotten housed. And we did see some increased legislative focus during the most recent session on eviction. I mean, you always go out to, you know, report something, and you're hoping that your coverage can make some difference. And sometimes it does. And that's that's a good thing because it's frustrating to cover stories that never seem to change. But I think it's really smart to talk to children and bring that voice into, you know, into your reporting. Could you tell me a few of your strategies to sort of establish this relationship with children of different ages? Sure. So I think it sort of starts from a baseline of just deciding with yourself that you're going to take their concerns very seriously. So, for example, if a child was telling me how they were upset about their eviction because they didn't have all their toys, I think to an adult brain, maybe that sounds a little like there are bigger issues here, but to a child, that's very serious. So just deciding that you're going to, you know, take it as seriously as they are when they're talking with you about it. I also had some games that I would bring and like... um, funny glasses that I would wear just to make them smile and and sort of break that barrier. How long did it take you to sort of establish this rapport? It definitely depended on the child. So Layla, one of the girls in the, the first piece, was very talkative and excited to tell me about her Halloween costume and things like that. But some of the teenagers particularly were a little more hesitant to 
to open up, I, I think in part because they were old enough to feel some of the shame that's associated with eviction. So that tended to take a few weeks. Tell me about the the experience of the the homeless children in, in school. I mean, did their classmates know that they didn't have a place to go at the end of the day? Typically not. There was one teenager I interviewed who asked that her name not appear in the series who had told one friend what was going on with her. And that was because the friend was a neighbor who she'd known for a really long time. But typically kids didn't talk about it with their friends. You know, having to do with the parents, the, you know, the single mothers, the families, you know, the adults in the equation, did you set any ground rules about, you know, I'm happy to report this, I won't report this, this is not what I'm looking for. I mean, did you ever, did you have to do some of that in your relationships with adults? I did a lot of work to ensure that things were immensely clear about what we would be talking about, what the story would include, what they were comfortable with, how much they had already told their kids about what was going on, because I didn't want to be the one to break any news about where they were going to be living to their kids. So yeah, I think it's about being really clear from the get-go. That this is what I'm covering and this is why it's important for me to, to get this information and share it. About how many people did you, or how many families did you end up talking to for this project? I'm not sure I remember the exact a lot. number. A lot. Which, yeah, and I guess that sort of brings me to like a piece of advice that I would give is to get multiple ways of contacting people. So phone, email maybe a friend's number. There were a few families I I talked to early in the process who their phones got shut off because they couldn't pay the bill and and I couldn't contact them anymore. Did you do interviews via phone or email or anything, or was it more a matter of that you would meet them someplace or if they, they did actually have some sort of home or shelter that you met them there? Yeah, so I typically would try to meet them in person. There are a few instances in which I called folks. There was one woman who was hospitalized during the time that I knew her. So I I visited her in the hospital a couple of times, just really wherever was convenient for them. I was trying to meet them. What would you say to a reporter who was thinking maybe that this is something I want to do? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, it, it just takes time. It takes time getting to know people and a willingness to sort of have these conversations and learn these things about them that might not even make it into the story. So there are entire chunks of interviews that I did with folks where none of that appeared in the story, but it helped me to know them better. What are you going to be doing going forward? Are you going to maybe follow this up or do something different? Yeah, so I'm I'm continuing to report on housing and, and sort of evictions. Our sort of last piece of this was the children's book, which I just wrapped up doing story time events for. So I'm not sure what's next exactly for the series, but still reporting on the issue. Story time. Tell me about that. The book that we produced uh, in conjunction with a a local artist sort of took all these experiences of the kids I spoke with in the hopes of helping kids understand what was going on, have these tough conversations with their families. And I, I went around to some service providers and public libraries to read the book to kids, chat with them about what they love about their home. We'd color the pictures. It was fun. 
Cool. That's actually one of the things I really like about your project is the the engagement that you had, the events. I mean, when you set out, you know, sometimes when you cover something like this, it's very easy to just cover it from a, a local government or, you know, a health department issue, housing department issue. But looking at it and speaking to the people who are going to be impacted, you know, what actually this kind of describes solutions journalism. Is that some is that a concept that you've been familiar with? Yeah, I've been interested in solutions journalism. I think with a topic like eviction that is really tough for people to talk about, that is maybe embarrassing for people to talk about, it requires serious community engagement. I I sort of started off by going to housing court a couple of times and trying to talk with people. And they're just having such an awful day. They they don't want to add a reporter they've just met into that mix. So that just wasn't going to work for the type of story I wanted to tell. I encourage people to check out Ginny's project, Notice to Quit, CT Mirror. And actually, I should have asked about CT Mirror. That's a nonprofit publication? Yeah, we're a nonprofit publication in Connecticut focused on policy and politics. Cool. All right. Well, anyway, they should check this out. The link will be in the story. Jenny, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who report the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. To make sure you don't miss an episode of It's All Journalism, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Amazon, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco is our audio producer. Amber Healy writes our web content. Amelia Brust is our booking manager. Steph Thomas manages our social media. Nick Dupre composed our theme music. Carolyn Belefsky designed our logo. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.